0: This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. We also reflect on every time we receive new members, which is what we're going to do later in our meeting, our members meeting after the luncheon today. Uh, The covenant that unites us fundamentally as a church is uh, the new covenant in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is a covenant? The most simply put, uh, a covenant is a sacred bond that is sealed with a vow. A sacred bond sealed with a vow. If you want an illustration, it would be the marriage covenant. Think about a wedding ceremony. A sacred uh, bond that is sealed with a vow and again the covenant that unites us together uh, as a local church and with the church across the world is the new covenant in the Lord Jesus Christ that new covenant which was promised by God the Father through his prophets prophets such as Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah they all spoke about a new covenant and that new covenant was inaugurated and the basis of it was established firmly by our Lord Jesus Christ through His sufferings on the cross, His death, and through His resurrection. You may remember that uh, in the Last Supper, uh, that last Passover which He had with the disciples, you may remember that there Jesus took the cup and He said, This is the new covenant in my blood, In other words, he was saying, that covenant promised by God, that covenant which would bring about all the blessings that this prophet spoke about. the hours come, the time has come, and when I go to the cross, I will take upon myself all the guilt, all the wrath that my people deserve, and there, having paid, I will be raised from the dead the third day, and the new covenant which brings about that new creation that God has promised, it will happen. This is the new covenant in my blood, he says. What are the blessings of the new covenant? They're manifold. I can't go into them all but just think about a few what is it to belong to the new covenant what is it to be a Christian it's to have a new heart to be born again to be circumcised of heart as he says it's, it's to have the law written on your heart to have that new in, inclination that's now the new natural inclination to want to know God and, and follow his ways it's, it's to have the forgiveness of all your sins past, present, and future. The Lord said that he would not remember our sins as, as far as the east is the west. He would throw away our sins from his very presence. What is it to be a, a, a member of the new covenant? It's to have a knowledge of God. He said I will be their God and they will be my people and they will all know me. It's also to have a new and bold access to God's throne room in heaven to be able to refer to him as our father as we as we said together here when we quoted from Hebrews chapter 4 what is it to be a part of the new covenant to be a part of this new creation it is also to belong to a new family an eternal family it's to be not only a a Christian individually but to be a, a, a member of the new community of faith indwelt by the Holy Spirit The beginnings of the renewal of all things. To be the community of faith filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to celebrate a little bit later. You know, when we finish today, we will have the Lord's Supper. And in the Lord's Supper, we commemorate and we celebrate what? The new covenant in His blood. That He has made it the way for us through His sufferings now. And so today, our emphasis, because of the members meeting we'll have later, the elders asked me to... Speak on this emphasis. Today, our emphasis is on that horizontal element of our unity as a covenant community. Every time we receive new members, we are reminded of that when we read that the covenant. And what is our church covenant? It's just a summary. It's just a distillation of all the New Testament one another commandments. The implications of belonging to this family, right? Love one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens, and so forth. That will be part of our focus. And we felt, as elders, that after all the disorientation, some of the uh, separation, some of the isolation that we all experienced through the 2020 and the beginning of this year, and some of you are still experiencing, I know. We felt that this is a good time, mid-year here during our members' meeting to reaffirm. Our covenant bond together. What does it mean to belong to a local church? What does it mean to be a Christian and to be in the body of Christ? And so, to that end, I will be reading from chapter 2 of Ephesians, chapter 4, and chapter 5. I'll be summing up what Paul teaches there and seeking to apply it in that way. Let me remind you first about the book of Ephesians as a whole. This wonderful book, the letter of the Ephesians. In this letter, the Apostle Paul, he reveals the, the, the glorious redemptive work of our triune God, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He begins by talking about all the blessings that are given to us if you are Christians in the Lord Jesus Christ in chapter 1. He moves on the chapter 2 to remind us and, and, and express the That redemptive power of God and grace of God in personal, individual conversion. And then what he says is, though you were dead in your trespasses and sins, what did he do? He made us alive together, together with Christ. And then he moves on in chapter 2 further to also show us and speak to us of the redemptive grace and power of God, not just individually, but corporately. In creating what? Creating the church, which he calls the mystery, which is where what? We are now one new creation, or as he puts it here, one new humanity, Jew and Gentile united in one body at peace with God for eternity. He says we are members now of the household of God, a community of faith, a temple in which God dwells by the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul describes and explains as he writes the letter to the Ephesians. Now, if we're members of the household of God, living in a household has obligations, right? You all have households. If you're single, you grew up in a household, someone's got to throw out the garbage. Someone's got to clean, someone's got to cook, someone's got to help with this, with that. And so it is in the household of God. So it is in the household of God. We have obligations to one another. There are implications just like in your household. But heres I want you to see. This is something very important. When you read the New Testament epistles, especially Paul, before Paul talks about our responsibilities, our obligations as a household, he begins by telling us spiritual realities. In other words, before Paul tells you what you are to do as the church, he always tells you what you are as the church. Before the do of the Christian life comes the done of the work of Christ. That's very important. That's where the motivation of the Christian life comes. And so I'm going to read from these three chapters, and I want you to hear that. I want you to, to kind of be focusing on, on that this morning my my aim again is to help each of you understand the glorious privilege that it is to belong to the church of Jesus Christ and then to this church and then reaffirm that you belong to this family here. I'm going to read the text and I'm going to ask you to think of two three words. Okay. As I make my way through this text. I want you to think of three words recall. Realize and respond. Recall. Remember, realize, and respond. Recall what you were before God found you in His grace. Realize what God has done and what you are because of His grace. And then respond, you see. Very important that it's in that order because worship, the Christian life, which is worship, worship is based upon remembrance of who God is and what He's done. And then it rises naturally, rather than simply obligation. So let's hear the word of God. Ephesians chapter 2, remember he says, by grace you've been saved. And that, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, right? Not as that a result of works, and no man may boast. And then he speaks to non-Jews, most of you here, right? Verse 11, therefore, remember that at one time, this is you, Christian, You Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, that's a derogatory term by what is called the circumcision, which is made in flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, So making peace and might reconcile us both, Jew and Gentile, to God in one body through the cross and thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, Jews. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. What word was that? Realize. Realize what God's done and, and what you are. What's the last word? Respond. Chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 17. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord. That you must no longer walk or live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming... be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of God, the living word of the living God. I pray he bless it to your heart and to your understanding. Three words. Recall. Recall what you were. Realize what God has done and therefore what you are. And then lastly, finally, respond. Walk in a manner worthy of this glorious calling. Be imitators of God. Walk in love. Let's make our way through each of those words today, okay? Drawing from the text, try and bring out a few details. Recall what you were He's writing to whom? He's writing to, to Gentile believers, people from all different nations who were never a part of, the, of Israel. And he's writing to these Christians. He says, remember, verse 11, that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, you were, you were separate from Christ, alienated from the people of God, strangers to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God. He says these five things. And what he says to them is, is true about every one of you. If if you're a Christian today, that's where you were before Christ found you in His grace. And I hope He's found you in His grace, because otherwise, this is still true of you. You were each of these. You were first of all, you were before Christ found you in His mercy, and you heard the gospel, and He opened your eyes, and He changed your heart. You were separate from Christ. What is Christ? Christ is Messiah, the promised one, the one who comes to save, to forgive sins, to heal, to take our guilt upon Him Himself. He says. Before you became a Christian, you didn't even know about Messiah. You didn't care about Messiah. You probably thought Christians were were fools. That's where you were, you see. Do you remember being there? Can you remember thinking that way? Messiah was just some sort of crutch that people need. Church, Christianity. He says, remember, that's where you were. You were maybe even a mocker because you were separate from Christ. Secondly, what, remember, re- recall that you were alienated from the people of God. Remember, God has a people, a people. He says, I will be their God. They shall be my people. He will dwell in their midst. He will be their Father in heaven. He's chosen them before the foundation of the world. He reveals himself to them through his word and by the power of his spirit, you see. He says, "You before you came to Christ... Uh, you were alienated from this. You were separate from this. You you weren't part of this family. You weren't part of the church. Can you remember what it was like to hear things and it was just all gibberish? You know. I mean, some of you grew up in the church. I know there's some young people here. And over the years, I've seen this. Time and time again, you can actually be in the church, meaning you can gather with the people of God and still be alienated from the people of God. And every time you come to church, it's like you're surrounded with a bunch of weird uncles. You know, it's my mom's family. It doesn't feel like my family. May God give you grace if you still, in your heart, you're stirred like that. But if you're a Christian, can you remember what it was like to be alienated? Third, you're strangers to the covenants of promise. All the, all the covenants of God throughout the scripture that he's given throughout the history of redemption, each one is laden with more and more blessings and promises until he comes to that glorious new covenant where he said all the things I mentioned earlier, our sins will be forgiven. He will dwell in our midst. He will give us his Holy Spirit. All these things, all those covenants filled with all promise, all those promises, They all pointed forward to what God would do and achieve through Jesus Christ. And all the promises of God are yes and amen in Him, the New Testament says. But you were were a stranger to all that, you see. All those promises weren't yours. They didn't belong to you. There was no covenant bond between you and God. There was no sacred vow that was made between you and God. You didn't have that wedding ring saying, I belong to him. All his promises are mine. Well, what And what is that seal? It is the seal of the indwelling Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 1. The down payment of a future inheritance that lies ahead, the resurrection from the dead unto eternal life. Before you were a Christian, you were separate from Christ, alienated from the people of God, and you were strangers to all these promises. These promises meant nothing to you. They weren't yours. You were without hope, verse 12 he says. Without hope. When he says that, he doesn't mean that people who aren't Christians can't have a positive attitude. That's not what he means. I remember having aspirations before I came to Christ. And there's a lot of people in this world who are not believers. Who have, who have aspirations. Who, have, who can be optimi- optimistic. Who can make plans. That's not what Paul means when he says you were without hope. It doesn't mean you simply didn't didn't have the capacity to look forward to things. What he means is you were without biblical hope, which is what? Hope beyond this life. You had no hope of life after the grave. You didn't want to think about death. You put off thinking about death. You had no joy thinking about the grave. Why? Because you were without any certainty about what happens after this life. That's Christian hope, you see that's what he means when you're without hope. You can have aspirations, but where would they lead you without Christ? I remember I've shared this in this church. If you've grown up here, you've been here some time at this church. You've maybe heard this illustration one or two times, but my my high school electronics teacher um, would take us out once in a while for lunch, me and my band members, and uh, he would buy us pizza, round table, San Leandro, East 14th Street, okay? (laughs) And, uh, oh, man, I'm thinking lunch now. Anyways, don't ever do that to yourself as a speaker, right? (laughs) He would take us out to lunch, he would buy us pizza and event, he would ask us questions, what do you want to do with your life, and you know, now I look back and I realize he was evangelizing us, and he would ask all these questions, of course, we were saying we're going to be rock stars, and he said, okay, that's great, what are you going to do once you're a rock star? Well, we're going to be billionaires, man, okay, what, what are you going to do with all your millions, and he would just play it up, he'd play it up, he'd keep going, and then what, and then what, and we'd keep talking, and then we're running out of ideas, We're like, I guess and then I'll just grow old, and he goes, and then what, and then what, and I guess we'll just die, he goes, Yes. And then he would say, and then what? He would make a 17-year-old's face death, you see. And he'd say, and then what? he said, you ready to meet God? Mm. I went to his funeral years later as a Christian and heard his testimony and remembered how he evangelized me. You were without hope, you see. That's what I was. And there's a lot of people in this country who do not see even now That there's more to life than what you can buy, what you can taste, what you can see, what you can wear. There is more to life than this life. That there's a life after life after death. And we will either spend that under the condemnation of God for our sins and our guilt. Or we will spend it in his presence for eternity. You were without God, verse 12. Without God. Wow, can you remember that? This was hard for me. I've been in the Lord 40 years now. I was thinking this week, what was it like to be without God? You know, <laughs> Take me back, Lord. What was it like to, to, to live my life in this fallen, broken, confusing, disease-filled, anger-filled, host- hostile world? To live without God with all its problems in this world. Can, can you remember? You made plans without God. You made... You suffered loss without God. You got sick without God. You met with pain without God. You saw relationships form and then break apart all without God. You, you were single without God. You raised children without God. You did everything you did without God. You saw the suffering around you without God. It's hard for me to remember. What was it like to be without God? And he says, that's what, you're, that's what you were. You, know. you live life in this broken world. Without God. Well, here's, here's another story I've told maybe five times. So be nice with me. Life. This is number six. When I, every time I think of remembering what it was like to be without God, I remember that experience I had the year after we started this church when I went to clear out my attic. Some of you remember this. I went to clear out my attic here in Concord and was throwing things around and I found a box full of cassettes. Looking at your eyes, trying to see if you guys know what i you know what a cassette is? <laughs> yeah. Some kids are asking their dad, what's, what's a cassette? <laughs> Do you say casket? <laughs> cassettes were these little tapes, and we recorded things on it, like music and, and things. And so I found a box filled with old cassettes, and I'm, I'm just, you know, this one I keep, this one I toss. This one I keep, this one I toss. And I came across a blank Ampex tape. And I said, wow, okay, let's see what this one is. I put it in my little tape player, and I hit play. And I have no idea why we did this, but what it was was me and my band members sitting around when we're 16 or 17 in a circle. We recorded ourselves talking, and I didn't even know I had this tape. I hit play, and I heard the foulest, darkest things just coming out of all our mouths. I lasted maybe 20 seconds. The worst was hearing my own foul mouth, and I hit stop. Every time I read Ephesians 2, Remember, he says, I think of that tape. I think, that's where I was. Nothing but hatred and foul speech was coming out of my heart. Remember, he says, what it was like to live life without God. That's where you were. You lived without him. What were you? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Carried about by your passions, he says. Passions of your flesh. Hostile towards God without hope in this world, remember. If you can, can make God give you the grace today, I pray, to, to remember, if your heart's cold towards Him, if your heart's cold to what it means to be a Christian, to belong to God and be in His family, remember the pit from which God pulled you out by His sovereign grace. Unfortunately, I'm speaking to some who are still in that pit. I know it because... In a, in a room this size, or a church this size, and people online, I don't even know who you are, my friends, but some of you are still in that pit, you see. And that can change. May God give you the grace to feel the need to be reconciled to Him. May you admit to Him and yourself first that you are a sinner, that you need forgiveness of sins, and that He would give you the grace to repent, to turn and turn to Him. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He will forgive you of your sins. Ask God to give you faith. and you could ch- It could all change for you today, and you could walk out of here, not separate, but with Christ, with the people of God, with the covenants of promise, with hope, and with God to go live in this world. Doesn't that sound like a better deal <laughs> than what you came in with, you see? Oh, God, give him grace to acknowledge your need to humble you. So the first word was what? Recall recall what you were. The second word is realize. Realize what God has done, and as a result of that, what you are. Let's think about these two. Verses 13 through 22 here. First of all, verses 13 through 18. What has God done? Verse 13, but now. That's a glorious transition, right? Every time you read that from Paul, you know something good's coming. (laughs) He said, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were alienated from God, but Now, he says, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. (laughs) That's glorious, you see. He wants you to realize what God has done in your life, and then he wants you to realize what you are as a result. So let's look at these verses, verse 13 through 18. He says, you've been brought near to whom or to what? To whom have we been brought near? Well, the, ver- the emphasis in verses 16 through 18 are that we've been brought near to God. He says he has reconciled us both, Jew and Gentile, to God in one body through the cross. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who are near, Jews, for through him, through Christ, we both, meaning peoples of every nation and Jews, we all have access in one spirit to the Father. You see, through Christ you've been brought near to God as Father. You've been reconciled to Him. He has forgiven you of your sins. Christ has made peace between you and the holy, perfect creator of this world. Romans 5.1 Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So realize, he says, what... Remember what you were, and then realize what God has done. He's brought peace between you and him forever. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has made peace with the blood of his cross. He has brought you near to, to God, but in doing that, He's also brought us near. To each other. That's the emphasis in verses 14 and 15. He himself is our peace. Meaning Gentiles and Jews. He's our peace. The people from every nation. Tribe and tongue, and color. And different socioeconomic status. He is our peace. We are reconciled to one another. In one body. One people. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through our Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ we are brothers and sisters. So he says in Galatians 3:26, he puts it this way, this is the apostle Paul again, he says in in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Remember he's writing to Gentiles here too and he says he says all of you if you if you are in Christ you believe you are all sons of God. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. He says there's neither Jew nor Greek. He's speaking here of our status before God in our salvation, our, our, our spiritual status before God. He says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male, no female. You are all one in Christ Jesus, you see. So he's saying, your, your spiritual status, your redemptive status before God, if you are united to Jesus, God's Son, in Christ, you are all sons of God. You're all His children. You have a common faith, a common life, a common salvation. No one's better than the other. You are. That's what God has done for you. When Jesus bursts from the tomb, beloved, and we sang about that, When Jesus, the Son of God, burst from the tomb that third day, He was the very first man of the new creation. He was the first one who experienced that new creation humanity. Remember, Jesus, the Son of God, is eternally, forever, both God and man in one person. And when you were born again, when you heard the gospel, and by by God's grace, he opened your heart, softened you, and you finally repented, bent the knee, and believed in him. When you did that, when God did that in your heart, you were united to that new man who rose from the dead, and now you became a new person too, spiritually speaking, and one day you're going you're gonna to experience the completion and being made just like him in the resurrection. That's good news. That's having hope, you see. He says, remember. Realize what God has done for you when He joined you to Him. You have nothing but a glorious future ahead even if this life gets hard. Because we will still face tribulation, difficulty, disease and pain and suffering. We're not immune from that. But you have reason to hope. Why? Because of what God has done for you when uniting you to Christ. A glorious future. May God give you the grace to see that. We are called by our triune God to a destiny that... One professor says, is a destiny beyond our imagination. Beyond anything you can think or dream up. I like like saying that. I don't know about you. Because I tell myself, I can dream up quite a bit. But what God has in store is better than that. Beyond that. Realize what God has done. That's it. Well, I'll leave it there. And because of what he's done and making peace between you and him and peace with one another, realize now what you are. And now he's speaking about Christian identity in verses 19 through 22. There are three aspects or three realities that are part of your identity if you're a Christian now. This is how God sees you today if you're a Christian. This is how God sees you because this is what he's made you. Okay? These aren't things you hope to be. These aren't things you're trying to be. There's no effort in this. This is what you are in Christ, okay? You are now citizens, citizens of God's kingdom. You are members of God's household, and you are stones in God's temple. Three metaphors that Paul uses here to explain to people, to explain to Christians, to help you and I understand what you are in Christ Jesus. You are citizens of God's kingdom. Verse 19, look, look at that verse. He says, so then, because of what God's done, making peace through the blood of Christ, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You are fellow citizens with the saints. Notice he says, with the saints. He doesn't say to Gentiles, with the Jews. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles belonging to one body now. And he says, you're fellow citizens. He doesn't say with the Jews, but your are fellow citizens with the saints. Why? Because the church, the body of Christ, transcends all these distinctions. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Remember, he says in Galatians, you are part of a new creation. And you are fellow citizens with the saints. And what's a saint? The term really means holy ones. That is, in Christ, God sees you as holy because Christ is holy and you are wed to Him. Every believer from Israel, Adam, all the way down, Moses, Abraham, etc. Every believer, New Covenant, Paul, James, etc. Every believer is a saint because we are united to the Holy One, Christ. And every saint, he says, is a citizen fellow citizen of what what's well, the implication here because of the terminology he uses though he doesn't say it the implication what Paul has in mind is that we are citizens of God's kingdom you see and so we have what we have a we have a common loyalty a common king a common authority we serve whom King Jesus doesn't matter what nation you came from Gentile whether you're Greek uh, whether you're a Jew, if you're a Jew, doesn't matter where you came from, and it doesn't matter today, Christian, where you live, whether you live in America, whether you live in a, a nation in Africa, whether you live in communist China. If you are a Christian, you have a higher allegiance. You, Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, 20, our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. You have been transferred out of darkness. And in the kingdom of his beloved son. I think that's important to hear again. Just by way of application. I won't belabor this long. But you know. Our country with all of its problems. And it has problems. And it's getting worse. is still a nation. That a lot of people in this world. Are dying to get into. Literally. But there's Christians living in places like Cuba. Where our brothers and sisters from. Pastor Ray Estenas' family live, And there's Christians living in other countries that are republics, and other Christians living in countries that are uh, under uh, a, a uh, despot. But all of our, with all of our blessings here, your citizenship that matters is the one that is everlasting. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go, right? But you and I belong to the kingdom of God. Here we have no lasting city, says the author of Hebrews, but we seek the city which is to come, right? Whose foundations and builder, the blueprints, the designer, is whom? God, the new Jerusalem. And sometimes, especially in these days, I think American Christians need to be mindful of that. Things may melt before your very eyes, but your higher citizenship, your higher authority, your higher devotion is to whom? King Jesus we are citizens of God's kingdom secondly we are members of God's household back to verse 19 you're no longer strangers and aliens you are members of the household of God and what Paul does here he deepens the nature of our unity together he says we're not just like citizens belonging to a king we're we're past we're even more than that what we're children with a father (laughs) we're children who have been adopted we're, we're children who belong to a family with a gloriously perfect, loving Father in heaven. We're members of God's household, beloved. That's tremendous. He changes the metaphor here, right? He says we belong to a family, which is a great emphasis for him. In chapter 1, he says that we've been predestined unto adoption. Chapter 1, verse 5. He says in chapter two, eighteen, we all have access now to the Father. Access to the Father. Not just access to a creator or the judge or the... To a Father. He says, chapter 3:14, I bow my knees before the Father. Chapter 4, verse 6, there's only one God and Father of all in this family to which we all belong. And so here the emphasis is on what? The intimacy of belonging to an eternal spiritual family. Other Christians around you sitting in this room, you at home and other places, they are your brothers and sisters forever. Forever. You may run, you may hide, (laughs) because you don't like this Christian. (laughs) You don't like this brother, but you're going to be, I'm going to be your brother, whether you like it or not, forever. (laughs) (laughs) So what? So start getting to love this brother here. Get used to it because there's no running from it. We're members of a household. And what happens in a household, you, you, you don't run. We have to grow together. We have to stick it out. We have to have family meetings. The emphasis then is on that glorious reality here. Belonging to a family. It's, it's glorious, isn't it, you think, that you can get people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, different color, different cultures, different languages, and we could, in our, in our own tongue, we could all say together, in unison, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And that would be true for every one of those people. You know. He's our Father. May his name be hallowed. Okay so we are not only citizens of God's kingdom as a result of what God God has done we're members of God's household and lastly we are also like stones in God's temple he doesn't literally use the word stone but that's what he it appears that he's referring to Peter uses the same imagery of us being at the church being a temple and he uses the words like living stones we are like living stones what's he say there look down at the text he says you're members of God's household then he mixes the metaphor moves to a building he says built on the foundation of the Apostles and prophets that is to say the church is like a temple and the foundation of this temple now is the teachings the doctrines the gospel preached by the Apostles and prophets Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone the one who sets all the angles for the church in whom the whole structure being joined together notice the present tense why because the church is living we're we're growing being joined together jesus said i will build my church guess what he's still building his church we are being joined together it grows it grows why because this is living we're human beings Uh, it's organic we are it grows into a holy temple a nas the, the dwelling place of god temple in the lord in him you also, now here the emphasis is to that church. You see, he's saying, I'm not just talking about the church universal, but you also, church at Ephesus, and you also, Grace Bible Church, you also are being built, being built, growing together, he says, into a dwelling place for God. How's that happen? By the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. And so the idea here is that you need to realize that we are like living stones, blocks one upon the other. We are interconnected. The emphasis here to me seems to be on the interconnectedness of each of the members of the local church at Ephesus who need each other because they're being built up together into a temple in which God himself dwells. I will be their God and they shall be my people. I will dwell in their midst. You, see. you know for a thousand years the temple, the temple in Jerusalem was the focal point of worship where people went to meet God. You remember what uh, Ryan Rippey was preaching when he preached from uh, the Pentateuch. He mentioned that several times. If, if you wanted to meet God during that time you had to go to where God revealed Himself, where He manifested Himself. That was at the temple. That was where they could approach Him. But now That era has come to an end. You see, there's a new creation, a new people of God in Christ Jesus. You remember this? And the new people need a new temple. You remember that that new temple has gone through two phases already. The first phase was when the Son of God came. He himself was God. If you wanted to meet God, you didn't go to Jerusalem to the temple anymore. Where would you go? To Jesus. Uh, he tabernacled amongst us, John says in chapter 1 of his gospel, and we beheld his glory, the glory of God. And then in chapter 2, John records there, remember Jesus is leaving the temple with the disciples, and he says to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it back up. And, and while, they're, while they're talking about how could he do such a fast construction job, John writes down later when he realized, he says, now I get it. John says he was talking about the temple of his body. You see, because he is the temple. But now he's gone. And what has he done? Acts chapter 2. He has given us the Holy Spirit. And now he says, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, you, church, are the temple of God now. Remember what Ryan said, if you want to meet God now, where do you go? You come to the church. Because we are the dwelling place of God. By what means by the Holy Spirit. We are stones, living stones in God's temple, but we're a growing temple. We're not a finished temple. Not until the new heavens and the new earth come and the bride of Christ descends and we are made and finished in glory. So here and there now, here and there in this temple, there's a block that doesn't fit in real good. There's a block that has some sharp edges on it. And God's still chiseling that block. (laughs) Because he wants it to go right in here. But it doesn't want to fit in there. (laughs) That's called suffering. (laughs) That's called discipline. That's called being in the school of pain. We're living stones, beloved. All the work of grace. We're being built up in the temple where God will dwell. So what are the three words? Same with me. What's the first word? Recall what you were. The second word was? Realize what God has done and as a result what you are. Now what was the last word? Yeah. That's worship. The foundation of worship is remembrance. Not obligation. Not a list of rules somebody hands you. Yeah? The foundation of true worship is something that flows from the heart that has remembered the grace of God, remembered what God has done, remembering and realizing what, what we are, and out of gratitude flows some joyful obedience. So the last word is respond, and that sums, sums up in one word, chapter 4 all the way through chapter 6 of Ephesians. And I'm, I, I, my humble attempt at summing up what Paul means by respond, or how do we respond, you may find on your outline. If you don't have an outline, I'll just say it here. Respond how? Here's my humble attempt of summarizing Ephesians 4 through 6. Respond by living as a grace-motivated, spirit-empowered, unified, interdependent community of faith. I said it. Respond how? By living as a grace-motivated, spirit-empowered, unified, interdependent community of faith. And I'm summing up what Paul says in chapters 4 through 6. Right, he has, he has different pictures for that. He says, put off the old, remember? Chapter 4, and put on the new. Take off the old humanity, like your old dirty clothes, and put on new clothes. And he talks about what it means to be and live as a Christian. You respond motivated out of grace and he he talks about how you live as a Christian individually he talks about how you live as a Christian with others where he says forgive one another be gracious with one another then he talks what it's like to live as a as a Christian in your homes husband and wife parent and children the household code and then he talks about how to live as a Christian community in a fallen world Ephesians chapter 6 we don't have struggle against flesh and blood they're not your enemies we are struggling against spiritual forces all that is response to what god has done and made you let's take that phrase one point at a time respond by living as a grace motivated grace motivated is there obligation in the christian life it's okay i'm not going to make fun of you is <laughs> Is there there any obligations in the Christian life? Yes. That is not the foundation. The engine of obedience. The engine of obedience is what? The grace of God. That's why he says, therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've received. You've received a calling, a glorious calling, a calling from heaven that's made you a child of God. Therefore... Walk in a manner worthy, you see. Grace motivated. That's why our duty as pastors is to remind you of the gospel, to bring you Christ. Our duty is that. Grace motivated, spirit empowered. You don't do this in your own strength. Chapter one, he said every Christian has been sealed with the Spirit. And in chapter five, he speaks to them. He says they are to live a certain way, they are to walk as wise people, making the most of time. And then he uses this, uh, this metaphor, this illustration. It says, verse 18, don't get drunk with wine, that is debauchery. In other words, he's saying, don't, don't let yourself be controlled and influenced by a substance, but rather be controlled and influenced by the Spirit. Be being filled by the Holy Spirit, you see. And so we, are, we respond to God's grace by living a grace-motivated, Spirit-empowered, unified Together, unified, chapter 4, we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, remembering there's one body, one spirit, and so forth. A unified, uh, we have a common salvation, a common Savior, a common King, interdependent is the next phrase there, right? And what does that mean? That means that we need each other. The church isn't a bunch of lone rangers. It's not me, Jesus, and my Bible, and that's it. We are interdependent. That's part of the picture when he says that you are like stones, that that we are being built up, we are growing together. And how is it we grow together when each one of those building blocks contributes to the whole building? Look at chapter 4, verse 16. Above that, he says that we grow up in every way into who him who is the head, into Christ. And how is it we grow into this into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together? How are we joined and held together? By every joint with which it's equipped, God does the equipping, when each part is working properly. <laughs> wow! When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow. That's when we grow, so that it builds itself up in love, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you see. If you're one of those body parts, one of those blocks in the temple that doesn't want to be in the wall, then you're not going to grow properly. Your Christian life's going to be distorted, you see. Because God's meant that we grow together, that we walk through pain together, we walk through suffering together, we pray together we bear each other's burdens together we teach one another we pray for one another god has willed beloved god has willed that his saving transforming sustaining grace come to you not out of zaps out of heaven but come to you through the mouth of a brother or sister in this room that's what he's designed that his his grace come through an imperfect brother or sister and i love it when it comes through a brother or sister that's been a problem, right? Someone you've had in your mind like, and God sends that to minister to you. And then you're reminded what? His grace comes through all of us, (laughs) and I needed that grace. So this is where we end up this morning, right? Today's about what? Reaffirming our covenant bond together and realizing that we need each other In the body of Christ. Sometimes that's easy for some of us. Some of us are very outgoing, you know, very social, very outgoing. And for others, it's not so easy. But this is not a this is not a matter of personality. This is spirituality and it's growth. Growth. Many testimonies of this. And it was challenged during 2020 when we couldn't be together like normal, right? And 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 you could tell who are the ones that are who naturally love this because they were reaching out and going, I need fellowship. And there are other ones going, this is great. Me, my coffee, and the TV, you know? Don't have to talk to him or her. uh, No. No. (laughs) Uh, We laugh. Listen, some of us are not together out of real concerns. People are immunocompromised. I understand that. I'm I'm talking about something else. I'm talking about rejoicing in disconnectedness. That's not proper. I want to read a testimony from someone we've been praying for. And we'll finish with this. We've been praying for Damon Duncan, who really, really went through it with COVID. And and, uh, we reached out to Stephanie, and she shared this testimony and told me we could go ahead and share it with you all. She says, the Duncan family has been attending GBC for 18 years. They're members here. We are a very reserved family. Asking for help is not our thing. That may be some of you. As our family was hit hard with COVID, we were feeling hopeless. My prayers and reflection on God's word brought comfort, but I needed more. There was an urgency to know others were praying for us. So I reached out to the church. That's the first step for some of you. I reached out to the church with our prayer request. Almost instantly, we had messages of encouragement, people sharing scripture, letting us know they were praying, even calling to pray with me over the phone. This was unbelievably humbling. I was reminded that God brings joy when we go to Him and confess our need for Him, when we bring our cares to Him and plead with Him. It does not exhaust Him. The Lord gave us this body, His church, as an expression of Of himself he wants us to rely on each other just like it brings him joy when we rely on him it brings him joy that we rely on one another because that's relying on him right the Lord has shown us through our COVID experience that the body of Christ is an extension of Christ himself to be relied on and lead leaned into with humility We are grateful for the generous love we have received. End quote. You need the body of Christ. We're calling you, if you're a member of this church, to reaffirm that in your heart today. If you can't be here physically, I know some of you can't, but also if you stay here for the members meeting. This is your family. Weird uncle, warts and all, right? Right? Reformer John Calvin once wrote, wherever you see the word of God purely preached, Christ is preached and heard. There a church of God exists, even if it swarms with many faults. And Dieter Bonhoeffer in his little book, Life Together, says, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It's rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. Let's pray. Lord, we look to you.